I want to invite you at this time to turn with me in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2, which is on page 263 of your hymnal or your pew Bible there. And we're going to read God's Word under the heading of Finding Favor in the Redeemer. Finding Favor in the Redeemer from Ruth chapter 2, and we'll give our attention to the whole chapter. Let's read God's Word this morning. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field and after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reaper said, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let us glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she had continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her. Leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? And blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, in whom she had worked, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Here ends the reading of God's holy word, and may he add his blessing to it. Dear congregation, the last time that we saw Naomi and Ruth, how would you have described them? At the close of chapter 1, I think they could be described as poor, as destitute, and needy. They had arrived to Judah on foot, a journey of approximately 50 miles or so. And the arrival can be described as anything less but anticlimactic. Remember, as they finally arrive in Bethlehem after all these years being away in Moab, the women say, is this Naomi? And her response is, don't call me Naomi. Which means pleasant. Call me Mara. Which means bitter. She went away to Moab full with husband and children, and she came back with Ruth. A woman who she made abundantly clear in that seven to ten day journey from Moab to Bethlehem that she didn't want Ruth to come with her. You see, Ruth is going to be a social outcast in Israel. She thinks. She's going to be another mouth to feed. And put pointedly, they're going to be the poorest, the neediest, the most destitute of people. But by way of reminder, in Ruth 1, we see that Ruth counts the cost. She says it is better to be poor in Judah and depend on Yahweh's grace than to be rich in the field of Moab's without His grace. Although it's a bleak picture at the end of chapter 1 for this ancient Jewish woman and her thoroughly non-kosher daughter, if they are going to survive in Bethlehem, they are going to have to depend entirely on finding favor in Judah. And so in verse 1, we are introduced to the third major character of the story. Boaz. In Hebrew, he is called the Goel. He is a redeemer. Verse 1 calls him a man of great wealth, or as my Hebrew professor, Reverend Vanderhart, liked to call him, the mighty man of valor. You see, brothers and sisters, Ruth and Naomi needed to be redeemed. But they couldn't be redeemed by anyone. They needed someone who was like them. They needed someone who was mighty in strength. They needed someone who was righteous in character. They needed somebody who was sufficiently able to redeem. And brothers and sisters, does this not describe the Redeemer that we need as well? 
See, what we need to see in Ruth chapter 2 in our time together this morning is that the needs of the poor and the destitute are met in the Redeemer. That's our theme for our time this morning. The needs of the poor and the destitute are met in the Redeemer's favor. That's also in your bulletin insert. Our headings are this morning the introduction of the Redeemer in verses 1 through 7, the Redeemer's kindness in verses 8 through 16, and divine blessing through the Redeemer in 17 through 23. That's introducing the Redeemer, the Redeemer's kindness and divine blessing through the Redeemer. Let's look at our first few verses here, and we want to see the introduction to the Redeemer. Now, I don't care who you are, everyone loves a good love story. And in verse 1, we are introduced to the man of interest, Boaz. But notice this morning in verse 1 that before the author gives us the name of this knight in shining armor, it's describing him. The author is trying to draw your attention to his character. Not his appearance, but who he is. Notice his character. It says, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, the first thing that we learn about this mysterious man is that he is a relative of Naomi. Naomi's late husband to be specific. And in chapter 2, verse 20, he's described as a close relative. That is a redeemer. Because he's from the same tribe of Elimelech. Tribe of Epaphrathites. Which a clan is essentially a closely related family group. And it was the Redeemer's obligation to protect the property and to protect the family of His clan. Now, for those of you who are young here today, and this may be your first introduction to the book of Ruth, we might ask the question, well, what is a Redeemer? Or the language we use is a kinsman Redeemer, a family Redeemer. But throughout the Bible, that word redeem is used 150 times. And one of the dictionaries that I have on my shelf in my office says this, the heart of the image of redemption is paying a price to regain something that will otherwise be lost. Paying a price to regain something that will otherwise be lost. A kinsman redeemer is somebody who will pay the price for his family. To redeem his family that would be lost otherwise. What this means is that God in the Old Testament knew that his, there would be certain people in Israel who would fall on hard times. And so He establishes in the nation of Israel a sort of office or a role of a man who would buy back what was sold so that he could preserve the inheritance of his family as it was given in the book of Joshua. This is described in Leviticus 25. He would also buy back people who were sold into slavery. He could even marry and raise children with the wife of a deceased brother. 
Essentially, the kinsman redeemer was called by God, listen to this, to be the Savior of his family. He was called by God to save his family from certain death and certain slavery. But it goes on. Notice in Boaz's character, he is mighty, it says in verse 1. The ESV calls him a worthy man of the clan, but if you have a King James Version, it makes it a little clearer this morning where it says he is a mighty man of wealth. Which means not only is he the one in his family that's supposed to redeem in the family clan of Elimelech, but he is also able to redeem. He has the means. He has the ability to save his family. It goes on, we'll skip a few verses in Ruth 4, or to verse 4. It goes on to say not only is Boaz able, but he is also a righteous man. He's a man of God. As Boaz is walking to his fields from Bethlehem, he greets his workers with God's covenant name, right? God's name that he gave to Moses in Exodus 3. He says, Yahweh. If you look at verse 4, does it ring any bells for you? He says, the Lord bless you. This reminds us of the ironic blessing where in Leviticus 9, Aaron and his sons were put aside and consecrated and ordained. And after their ordination, God says, lift up your hands and bless the people. And what Aaron says, I'm not ordained, so I have to keep my hands down. But Aaron says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and give you peace. Here is Boaz in verse 4 quoting that, summarizing it, saying the Lord bless you and keep you. He's a man of righteousness. He's able to redeem. He's righteous in His character. But notice also, Boaz is Boaz. You see, Boaz's name means in him is strength. He's strong. And in these first few verses of chapter 2, the author wants us to contrast Boaz with Elimelech and Kilian and Malon in chapter 1. You remember that Elimelech, his name means Eli Melech, it means my God is king. But he didn't live a life under God's kingship. He made an unwise decision to move his family from Israel to Moab. Away from the presence of God. Away from the temple. Away from God's community to die in the fields of Moab. And his children, Kilian means destruction. Malon means uh, illness. This family went to Moab and nothing good came of it. But then on the scene in verse 1 comes Boaz. In him is strength. What we need to be seeing in these first few verses is that God is actually sovereignly orchestrating their steps. It's not by happenstance. It's not by chance. But God is leading them to the Redeemer that they need. And they need someone who can redeem them, who is mighty, 
who is able and who is righteous to save. But not only that, if you look in verse 2, it's describing Boaz in these first few verses, but look at the description of Ruth and Naomi. It says in verse 2 that Ruth goes from Naomi to glean. What this means, beloved, is that they were poor. Ruth and Naomi were broke. They had nothing. Young children, do you know what gleaning means? If you have a Bible, flip back. Keep your finger in Ruth, but flip back to Leviticus 19 where God gives instruction for gleaning in verses 9-10. through 10. He says to those who owned fields and vineyards in verse 19, verse 10, He says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Young children, gleaning means picking up the scraps. It means getting on your hands and knees and picking up the grapes that are on the ground. Staying on your hands and knees and pulling up those little pieces of stalk in between the roots and where the grain would have been and making bread and straw out of that. They are poor, poor, poor. Not only this, look at verses 6 and 7. Twice, Ruth is described as a Moabite. Reminding the reader of the Bible that she doesn't belong here. She's not one of us. She looks different. She talks different. She isn't a child of Israel. She's a Moabite. But she happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz. Remember in chapter 1, Naomi said to Ruth and Orpah three times, don't come with me to Israel because there is nobody there for you. Don't come with me to Israel. I can't have children that you can marry now. I'm too old. Three times she says, there's no husbands for you in this land. There's no prospect of marriage. There's no prospect of children. But the author is striking a note of irony here, isn't he, in verse 3. She happened to come. In the Hebrew language, if I was to literally interpret it to English, it says, as chance chanced. Congregation, do we believe in luck? Or chance? As in English we can say, to kind of catch the same idea here, we might say, as luck would have it. But there's no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as luck. God is always sovereignly orchestrating His purposes for our good. This little phrase in Hebrew as chance chanced, or in English as luck would have it, or she just happened, is actually telling you to perk up. Listen. Take notice that God's hand is at work here even though when we are saying like Naomi, there's no prospect of goodness according to God's hand. 
He had led her right to her Redeemer. He was at work in this little, poor Moabite's life to lead her to the Redeemer that she needs. A word of application, let us be reminded, my dear friends, that nothing comes to us by chance, does it? As our Heidelberg Catechism says in Lord's Day 10, everything comes to us from our Heavenly Father's hand. The Apostle Paul, later in the book of Romans, will elaborate on this idea, saying that in fact, everything that comes our way as Christians is guiding you to your Redeemer. Even the seemingly inconsequential. Where you were born, your parents, your upbringing, that no good job, the crashed car, the good times, the bad times, the miscarriages, the heartbreak. God is in fact using all of these things to have us more fully and wholly throw ourselves on the mercy and grace and the favor of our Redeemer You see, beloved congregation, if we're anybody in this story, we're not Boaz, are we? We're not the strong. We're not the mighty or the able. We're not the righteous. We are the poor and the destitute. The ones who, spiritually speaking, are in need of saving. And the hope of this book is that God is the One who is sovereignly behind the scenes working in all things to lead us to the Redeemer who is sufficient, who is able and righteous to save. Isn't it interesting as well, another word of application here for all of those young folks who are looking for a Boaz, who are looking for a Ruth, that what's prioritized in this passage isn't good looks, isn't charismatic qualities. The enduring qualities that have stood the test of time for thousands of years is actually His righteousness. His ability to provide for His family. Ruth is described as a woman who is an industrious, caring, and worthy woman. These are the kinds of qualities that we should be prioritizing in our looking for a spouse. Even our spouses can be, or often, I should say, are a means of guiding us to our Redeemer. If a, if a prospective mate guides us farther away from the Redeemer, then that's not somebody we should be pursuing. So we see then this introduction to the Redeemer. He is sufficiently able to save Ruth and Naomi. The question now becomes is, is he going to save Ruth? You see, just because Boaz can save Ruth doesn't mean that he will save Ruth. We see this later in the book of Ruth that not all redeemers are willing to redeem. Notice the redeemer's kindness. Our second point in verses 8-16. through See, not all redeemers are willing to redeem, but he takes interest in her in verse 5. He asks, whose woman is this? Question of ownership, but... He's really asking, who does she belong to? And the foreman says, she's a Moabite. She is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And what she asked 
is to glean in the field. She's been working here all day with only a short break. The foreman sort of props her up as a woman with good morals, a good attitude, a hard worker. But she is vulnerable. And we could say it another way, she's on the lowest rung of society right now. A vulnerable Moabite convert, no husband. The question is, how will the mighty man of valor, how will one of the greatest men of office in Israel, how will he treat this young, vulnerable woman? And what I love about Boaz is how he provides for her. Notice how he provides for her. He provides for her protection and provision. You see, when we jump into verse 8, clearly there's been some time that's happened between verse 7 and verse 8. First he's talking to the foreman, now he's talking to Ruth. And we don't know what happened in between verses 7 and 8. But clearly something did happen. Okay? See, some commentators suggest that Ruth may have been simply departing to a new field to glean, but I find that very unlikely considering what Boaz and then later Naomi said. What seems more likely is that either a male co-worker had done something to make her uncomfortable, or in the worst case, while she was gleaning in the fields, she may have been sexually assaulted. Those are our three options. In any case, what happened in that field made Ruth uncomfortable to the point that she needed to leave. And so we see the mighty man of valor is quick to respond to meet her needs by his kindness. In six quick sentences, he says, don't go glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along with the girls. I have ordered them not to touch you. And wherever you are thirsty, get a drink from the men's jars of water. You see, what's so touching about these six sentences is that Ruth is a social outcast. And on no uncertain terms, he is treating her like a valuable member of the community. You see, by saying she can have water from the men's jugs, jars of water, is actually an astounding statement. You see, in the ancient world, foreigners would get water for Israelites, and the Israelite women would get water for the men. That was the smartest investment for people who had workers. I don't want my men going to the wells and filling up waters, and we all know what happens around the coffee maker at work or the water cooler. They're all talking, taking it easy. I need the men in the fields working all day. The women can go and bring the water. But look what he's saying. He's reversing her position. She's the lowest rung of the ladder, but by saying she can get water from the men's jars... He's saying, You're, I don't value you as the lowest. I value you as the highest. You don't draw water for anyone. Instead, I, the owner of this field, the boss of the operation, the one who profits from this, I 
serve you. That's what he's saying. Notice this, brothers. Specifically our men this morning. Boaz protects the weak. He protects the vulnerable. We need to talk about something that's sort of uncomfortable this today. He protects this woman from abuse. And beloved, the church should be the safest place in the whole world, shouldn't it? But notice this morning that if abuse did happen, whether it be verbal, sexual, whatever it might be, it didn't happen in Moab. It happened in Israel. And abuse also happens in the church, doesn't it? Abuse happens because we're sinners. We live with sinners. We fellowship with sinners. But it doesn't make it okay. One commentator notes, listen to this, contemporary readers will be struck with how modern this comment sounds. Boaz is hereby instructing the first, or instituting the first anti-sexual harassment policy in the workplace ever recorded in the Bible. What this teaches us is that abuse is a problem the church can't look the other way on. Abuse is the problem that we must address. And the church of all places should be the safest place for women and men, but especially for our girls. So here's my word for you who may be struggling with abuse, who are suffering from abuse. Call me. Reach out to someone. We will protect you here. If you are an abuser, call me. Reach out to someone. Healing can be found here. Boaz's actions should be a constant reminder that Israel and the church should be the safest place for the weak and the vulnerable. The place to get help. The place to be protected. That we should see each other as more valuable so that even the greatest among us would be willing to serve water, would be willing to tie a towel around his waist and wash the feet of the lowest. That we who are of the highest office, who have the most money, who are the strongest in body, would be willing to care for the lowest and for the weakest. Boaz serves them by offering protection and provision. Ruth is said to receive Boaz's favor. We see that as the narrative progresses, she receives Boaz's favor. Ruth is so overwhelmed by his generosity after he declares, I will give you protection, I will give you provision. So much so, she says in verse 10, she falls on her face and says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? You can, also, you can almost hear the struggle in her voice. Everyone treats me like a foreigner. I'm an outcast. I'm someone not worthy of even common courtesy. Why do you 
the greatest treat me as an equal. And Boaz's answer is crucial. If you have a Bible, look with me at verse 11. But Boaz answered her and said, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me how you left your father and your mother in your native land and you have come to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What is he saying? He's saying that because you are seeking refuge. Under the wings of God, you are valuable. It doesn't matter that your skin color may be different. It doesn't matter if you speak another language. It doesn't matter that she is a woman. He makes room for her in His life. If God is gracious to you, so can I be gracious to you. We need to pause for just a moment and consider that. What is he saying? He's saying God is gracious to you. For our young children who are here today, what is grace? Do you remember? The easy way to remember it is that grace is unmerited favor, right? What did Ruth come into the field to find? favor. The language of seeking refuge under the wings of God connotates the idea of coming to Him for mercy. Boaz is saying, you came into the fields to find favor with Me, but when you trusted in God, when you professed your faith, you did not just find favor with Me, you found favor with God. You see, in the Old Testament, to be redeemed, it involved three aspects. You see, you needed to be in bondage. Someone, there was a bondage someone needed to be freed from. There was a redemption price that needed to be paid. And there needed to be a surety, a person who would secure your redemption. The New Testament adopts that language and then uses that language of redeem to refer to salvation. You see, beloved, we are in bondage to the law and death. Remember what John or Jesus says in John 8, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Paul says sinners are slaves to sin which leads to death. But praise God, We are redeemed, we can be, and are redeemed by a mighty man of valor. Someone who is righteous and strong and able to redeem. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.24, redemption has come in Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Boaz is a mighty man of valor. He is righteous. He is strong. He is able to redeem Ruth from a life of poverty. But no mere human being is righteous and strong enough to redeem a sinner from sins. To redeem us from hell. 
and judgment. But God has done a better redemptive work in our kinsman Redeemer. Jesus Christ. We were under the bondage of sin and death. And He paid the redemption price with His own blood. See, Boaz's heart was soft for a moment. But Christ's heart is always soft. His heart is always tender and always willing to save those who come to Him for favor with God. Amen? Jesus Christ is the Mighty One. He is the Righteous One. He is the One who is able to save all who come to Him in Christ. We need to conclude. So we look very quickly at verses 17-23. through But this chapter quickly concludes with these marks of divine favor upon Naomi and Ruth. According to God's kindness, the women were blessed materially and provisionally and economically. You see, after gleaning in the field till evening, she had collected an ephah of barley, which is about 5.5 gallons or 22 liters, which is about 30 to 50 pounds of grain in one day. For a woman by herself, these are pretty extraordinary results. Remember, this would include getting on your hands and knees, pulling up and collecting the grain, threshing the grain, walking home. And when she comes home to Naomi, Naomi is shocked by how much she gleaned. This is like a week to three weeks, or sorry, two to three weeks supply of food. God gave them the blessing that they needed, but He also gives them a personal blessing. Naomi begins to investigate the situation and Ruth reports that the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And look at her exclamation. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi is saying, listen to this. Remember how bitter she was at the end of chapter 1. At the end of chapter 2, what is she saying? She's saying, in Israel we have found the favor of God. For he is, in verse 20, speaking of Boaz, our Redeemer. God is being covenantally faithful to these women by providing something to them. Providing them the love, the mercy, the grace, the goodness, the benevolence, the loyalty, and the faithfulness that they need. Notice that difference of tone from Naomi in chapter 1 to chapter 2. She goes from shaking her fist at God to using His covenant name in praise of God. Her heart is beginning to soften. She is now realizing in the light of her Redeemer that God is not out to get her. That all of the bitter providences she endured were not to her detriment, but to her good. To God's leading of her to the One who is strong and able to redeem. Beloved, there is no kinsman redeemer any longer. In Israel's fall, 
in the termination of that nation. There is no kinsman redeemer any longer. We do have a redeemer in Christ, but let us be reminded that Boaz was the evidence of God's covenant faithfulness. And doesn't God call us to be the evidence, to be the witness of God's good work in our Redeemer as well? Let us be the people who bless those under us, who serve the least, not so that we can try to redeem ourselves, but that we can be witnesses to the great Redeemer. Let's conclude. In conclusion, we see Naomi's admonition to Ruth. She says, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. You might say to this verse, well, duh. Obviously, if he's willing to give you all this, this food, protection and provision, like why, wouldn't, why would you leave, right? Makes sense. Why would you go anywhere else? But beloved, that's the point. See, Naomi and Elimelech made a foolish choice of leaving God's covenant people. They left His grace in search of greener pastures. And I think Naomi at this point is seeing how foolish she had been. Here is a warning to Ruth. Don't repeat the pattern of sin. Stay near to your Redeemer. Because He alone can meet all your needs. Beloved congregation, have you found favor in your Redeemer? What needs do you have? Remember that this is your admonition in Christ today. Stay close to Him. He can meet all your needs. As the Apostle Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Stay close to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, like fledgling little birds, we fly to Your wings. For in You there is refuge. In Your Son, who is the One who is able, sufficient, and mighty to redeem, who loved us with everlasting love. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would press on in near unto Him and that in Him we would find all that we need. Pray, God, Your blessing upon us as Your people in the rest of our worship service. In Christ's name, Amen.